Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Beginning this series of exploring the book of 1 Corinthians, understanding that as the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, that he is going to make a lot of corrections. This is a church full of pride. This is a church full of divisions. This is a church full of misunderstood doctrines. And so as the Apostle Paul had started the letter, as he's gathered everyone together and wrote this letter and is asking the preacher to read it out loud, the people are assembled together. He starts off by saying he is thankful for them and has explained some of the things that he was thankful for. Then he began with the very first correction, trying to explain that there are divisions among them and that there should be no divisions among them. And explain the answer. How do we get rid of divisions in the church by having everyone look toward the Jesus Christ. When everyone's looking at the same God and we're moving forward together, there develops a unity. It's when we get our eyes off the Lord and we look at ourselves and look at others that pride begins to get involved, that we start to get divisions, that we start to get to strife and we start to get contentions. As the apostle Paul continues to write, he then turns the tone once again to more of an encouraging thing by trying to explain that all the glory goes to God. Notice with me as we pick it up in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and notice with me in verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 the Bible says this, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the fool and the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling brethren how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things that are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring not things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 1? The book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 1, and notice with me the very last verse in this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 31, notice the last phrase, let him glory in the Lord. Let him glory in the Lord. And with the Lord's help, we want to walk through this passage and see this big idea here. Let him glory in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house. And thank you for the great privilege of being able to have your word that we can see your wisdom, what you want to get accomplished and that we can trust you. Lord, I'm asking in a special way that you would encourage these folks tonight, that you would let them see your will, your plan for their life and that they can be used by you. Lord, I'm asking that this would be clear that it would be understood, that you would put your power behind it, and that this message could even change someone's life tonight. Thank you for whom you are. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible talks about that God will share glory with no one because he is God. There is no God but him. There is none else. That God is worthy of all glory and honor and power. God is worth it. One of our problems as men, as humans, is we like glory. We like the pat in the back. We like the attaboy. We like to think that we're doing some good. And that's just part of it. We want to help. And we think that we can. Notice if you don't mind as we see this, as God is laying a principle here, that we can learn the biblical principle that God wants all the glory. Let him glory in the Lord. The first thing I'd like to show you for this passage is the wisdom of the world is foolish. The wisdom of the world is foolish. Notice with me, if you don't mind, we see this word foolish in verse number 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. You're going to see this word foolishness all throughout this passage. This word that is used for foolishness is only used in the book of 1 Corinthians. And this word carries with it the idea of stupid, of silly. This idea of foolishness carries with it that idea that is stupid. So think about this. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish or those who are dying and going to hell, stupid. So those who are not saved, those who are not going to church, when they hear us preach about Christ, they say, that's stupid. Some of us are running to those people. Some of us have those as family members. Some of those was us. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's silly. It's nonsensical. That all the problems could be solved at Jesus dying on the cross. That doesn't make sense. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which is saved, it is 
the power of God. What is the power of God? The preaching of the cross. Do you know how you got saved? Somebody preached to you the cross. Let's define our word preaching here. This word preaching in this specific case is dealing with the idea of proclaiming the truth. Someone had to give you the truth in order for you to get saved. There is no other way for you to get forgiven of your sins other than being told what the Bible has to say concerning salvation. That you are a sinner. And because of your sin, you deserve to go to an awful place called hell. And the only way that you can get out of it is by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you had to personally accept Jesus to be your savior. Someone had to tell you that news. That is not something you got on your own. Someone had to open the Bible, tell you from the Bible. Someone had to give you a tract. Someone had to do something. Maybe you read the Bible yourself, but someone had to proclaim to you the truth. And for those of us who accepted the truth, it is the power of God under salvation. We were saved because of the truth of the gospel. Now to the rest of the world that's not saved, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. Let's go in a little bit more and let's just see this. It says, the world with their knowledge, their knowledge makes them go further and further and further away from the Lord. They come up with their own ideas, their own understanding of how to get forgiveness. They try works. They try sciences. They try philosophy. All of these attempts to try to get forgiveness from God and try to get forgiveness of their sins and try to get a place in heaven, it just goes to nothing. To them, (laughs) the preaching of the Christ is foolishness, but their wisdom doesn't get them any salvation. Their wisdom doesn't get them any closer to the Lord. Their wisdom doesn't bring to them any closer to get to heaven. The world's knowledge brings them further away. I could do it without God. I could do it myself. I can help God. All of this is stupid on their part. And yet they look at us and say that we're foolish. We're stupid. What we believe is stupid. But to us, it was the salvation of the world. Notice if you don't mind in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise And I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Let's pause there. The Apostle Paul is quoting the book of Isaiah. Let's turn there if you don't mind so we can see what he is quoting. The book of Isaiah chapter number 29. Isaiah chapter 29. As you're turning there, let me give you the context of what's going on in Isaiah 29. In Isaiah 29, the (laughs) mighty Assyrian empire was on course of expansion. They are warmongers. They are the Nazis of the ancient world. They are ever expanding and getting bigger and bigger. They're taking territory. They're on the move. And they have destroyed Samaria. They're coming for Jerusalem and Judea. And the people are trying to find the answers. Isaiah has been prompting the people to trust God, trust God, trust God, trust God. However, the politicians had decided to trust the help of Egypt. Egypt will help us. Egypt will help us. By the way, Egypt is always in the Bible a picture of the world. 
The world will help us. The world will help us. The world has the answer. The world. And so notice with me as we pick it up in context, notice with me Isaiah 29 and notice with me verse 13. Isaiah 29 and verse 13. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear towards me is taught by precept of men. So in verse 13, it says people give lip service to God, but they don't really believe it. Sure, I believe God. Not really. Hey, I want to honor God. Not really. They, they say all these things, but it doesn't match their heart. Notice verse 14. Therefore, so because of this, because the people will not trust God, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. The immediate context here is that God destroyed every hope Israel had until Israel had no other choice but to trust in God. God took all of their wise ideas, their brilliant ideas, their schemes, their plots, their plans, and he turned it to nothing. So they had no other choice but to trust God. By the way, our wisdom still follows that same thing. Isn't it saying, well, I had nothing else to do but to pray. That should have been the very first thing that we did. But we always run through all of our options before we say, all right, God, I guess I give it up. Right? You get sick. The first thing you do is not get pray. You go, all right, well, let's take my silver, my vitamin C. Let's do the wives' tale. Let me go to the inhaler. Let's, we, we do all of this other stuff. And when it doesn't work, we finally say, all right, God, um, can you help me out? See, we still do this. And men has always done this. Sure, I believe in God, but let me take my vitamin C first. Sure, I trust in God, but let's see if Egypt will help us out. Sure, I trust in God, but maybe the government has the answer. And we look for all of these answers and God takes them all away to show that they were foolish. They couldn't get it done. So that was the context of Isaiah. Turn back with me to the book of 1 Corinthians and let's see how the apostle Paul is using this. In Paul's application of this passage, it's saying we need to come to the end of ourselves, the end of our ideas, the end of our cleverness, the end of our strength, the end of our uh, efforts, the end of our self-will, and experience the mighty power of God when God is able to get it accomplished. Think about the foolishness of the world. They will try everything they possibly can until they have no other choice but to get saved. We, we talk about that with some of our lost family members. Well, they're going to have to hit the bottom of the barrel. Why? Because they try everything else and it doesn't work. Some of you may have had to hit the bottom of the barrel before you finally turned over to God. You had to try your idea, your plan, your scheme. Maybe I could do it this way. And the application, just go to God in the first place. Because God has the help. God has the salvation. And all our ideas is foolish. Or the Bible idea of stupid. Everything we try to do fails. And we try hard. And we think we've got a better idea. And it fails. And it's stupid. It's stupid. Till finally God I have no other choice but to trust you. So what we're saying is a common human experience. 
We all think we have a better idea. We have a better scheme, a better plan. But God's plan was the best way the very first time. All of us can have stories of how we try to do it on our own. How we try to make it work on our own. How we try to pound it. How we try to manipulate. How we try to kick it. How we try to cry at it. And it didn't work. All resisting. Well, I, it just sounds too easy. It's just, it's, it's too easy. It's got to be more than that. And we're saying God's way is stupid when we find out our way was stupid. Our way was foolishness. Our cleverness, everything. Notice as it goes on in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Which again, he's quoting that passage. Notice again in verse 20, Paul continues with this thought. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Paul now says, I challenge anyone to come up and dispute salvation. I double dog dare anyone come and tell me that salvation is wrong. Do you know one thing that we have in our life is a personal testimony? That you have a testimony of what your life was like before you came to know the Lord, how you came to know the Lord, and what your life was like after the Lord. Think of the Apostle Paul. Before I came to know the Lord, I was religious, but I was lost. I had my own way of doing it. I thought I knew what was best. And I was zealous. I was very zealous. I believed with all my heart so much that I dragged people out of their homes in foreign countries and killed them because I was right. I knew I was right and they were wrong. I was a murderer. And then God met me on the road of Damascus and he changed my life forever. And now I follow the same belief that I once persecuted and I start churches and I follow after God. And God did that. And I double dog dare you someone tell me it wasn't true. That it didn't work. That what the Bible said about changing my life, getting forgiveness of sins, making me a new creature. I double dog dare someone examine my life and tell me it didn't work. I mean, you look at Paul's life. Clearly something happened to him to go from a murderer to being the proclaimer of the same God of the people he murdered. That's a big change. That's not just turning over a new leaf. That's becoming a brand new creature. And that's not something someone could do by themselves. God changed him completely. And you have that testimony. That's why we teach people about a personal testimony. What was your life before you came to know the Lord? How you came to know the Lord? And what your life was like after you came to know the Lord? Dispute that. Tell me about the changes in my life. And you double dog dare say that God didn't change my life. If you're saved and you've been following after God, God should have changed your life. There is evidence there. Someone double dog dare me, challenge me that I'm not saved and forgiven my sins right now. Because I was a scumbag and now I'm not. Well, I hope I'm not. That God's done something different with me. I double dog someone to dispute that. I double dog dare you. Now remember, our experience is not just off experience. It's based off of what the Bible said. We just found what the Bible said to do to have forgiveness and peace. We did that and it worked. My plan didn't work. Your plan didn't work. I could see that you're struggling. You're looking for something. You're so angry. This works. I double dog dare you. Try it for yourself and see if it doesn't work. 
Christ way works. Just get rid of our way. Notice as it goes on. Verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, meaning humanly wisdom, knew not God. So we live in a world that doesn't know God. But do you know, they could know the wisdom of God. Notice how do they get to know the wisdom of God when their natural wisdom doesn't work. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now notice that word foolish, where again that foolish means stupid. Now, do you know, according to the Bible, there's not a single spiritual moral problem that cannot be solved by preaching. Preaching solves it all. Now, grant it with the idea of preaching that you respond and obey. It works. There's not a single thing in your life that God can't change because of preaching. He could change the way that you think. He could change your eternal destination. He could change your surrender. He could change your home. He could change how you respond to people. All of that by preaching. Preaching. The foolishness of preaching. Do you know what preaching can do? Preaching can make someone who was lost and make them saved. Make them a person who was useless to society to be powerful in the hands of God. Preaching does that. It's preaching. But today people want to have a talk. Let's just have a nice little talk. God didn't say by the foolishness of talks. Well, I just want to rap with you. Or to have a little sermonette with a preacherette smoking a cigarette. It doesn't have the thing. It's preaching. Foolishness of preaching. Now to the world, they think we're out of our mind. Now, look from the world's perspective. You want to tell me that some guy is going to open up the Bible and you're going to show up on a Wednesday night. He's going to preach. He's going to yell at you. He's going to proclaim from God's word and it solves your problems. That's stupid. You need counseling. You need education. You need to go through this rehabilitation program. And God says, preaching, preaching. The world wants to downplay preaching. They want to put it down. Oh, just preaching. We got to have something more exciting. We got to have something better. It's preaching that changes lives. We cannot underemphasize or overemphasize God's placing of preaching. It's foolishness to the world, but it is the power of God. It changes life. There is nothing that cannot be helped in your life if you respond to biblical preaching. That's how important preaching is. It is not wasted time on a Wednesday night to show up and hear a message like this. A message like this can change your life and change everything about your life by a message like this. That is how God has decided to change everything. Preaching. To the world, it doesn't make sense. But you know the world with all of their efforts, their plans, it doesn't make things better. We want to education, educate you about racism so that way we can have less racism in the world. Well, how's that working? I think it's causing more problems than what it's helping. 
No, no, no. We need counseling. We need to tell you that you're not as bad as you think you are. And that the thing is, is your self-esteem. And if you just learn how to smile all the time, that it would solve all your problems. A smile just drives everything away. Well, does that necessarily help out? No, not at all. It doesn't help other things. Well, listen, <laughs> the problem here is that you just need more education. You go ahead, take more classes and, you know, go to college. It doesn't matter what class, class you take. You could go ahead and take uh, uh, the idea of filmmaking and the, um, uh, the different rabbits that have been found on films and take that special class. And I'm sure that will help you out, you know, whatever nonsense they have now. Now, they could come up with their ideas. They could come up with their plans. They could come up with their schemes. But God has had a solution the whole time. Preaching. Preaching. Proclaiming the truth. How does someone get saved? Someone proclaims the truth to them. Someone opens up the Bible and said, this is what thus saith the Lord. This is what God says. Will you obey? If you obey, God will work. That's what we do when we preach here. This is what God's word said. You obey, God will work. It sounds stupid to someone who's not following after God, but it is the power of God. It changes lives. It changes everything. But that's God's wisdom. God says, it doesn't make sense to you, but I tell you it works. Try it for yourself. And again, we're talking to Wednesday night crowd. Hasn't your life been changed by preaching? Hasn't things been affected in your life because of preaching? Haven't you changed the way you've talked to people and dealt with people and dealt with families and dealt with others and dealt with yourself because of preaching? It is preaching. I believe we should have more preaching and less counseling. I'm not opposed to counseling, but the counseling should be for a small amount of time for the purpose to get us to respond to preaching. This is what God has chosen to do by the foolishness of preaching. It pleased God. You know what pleases God? When we preach a message, you respond and God works. You said it's just that simple? Yeah, it's that simple. Well, it got to be more complicated than that. No, God made it simple. Notice as it goes on, verse number 22. For the Jews require a sign. What does this mean? Now, as we're going to salvation specifically, the Jews said, oh, sure, I'll believe in God if I could get one more miracle. And then one more miracle. And then one more miracle. How many miracles will it take for you to finally believe that Jesus is Christ? That Jesus is your Messiah? How many miracles will it take? The Jews are looking for something to to validate their belief. Do you know that the Jewish people who have rejected Jesus to be their Messiah are still looking for their Messiah now? I was reading an article not too long ago that there was, they, a lot of Jewish people believe that their Messiah currently lives in New York City. And if they want to start a business, they will go to their Messiah and supposedly this Messiah has never been wrong and he will tell them whether their business will succeed or fail. He's supposedly got 100%. He's considered a great Messiah. Do you know why the Jews like that? Because it affects them. It helps them. It helps their idea. They want a Messiah not to tell them what to do. They want a Messiah that's going to bless them and help them with what they want to get accomplished. 
They reject the idea of a Messiah of the Bible, but they want another miracle. We want another sign. We want another proof. And so they were stuck after miracle, after miracle, after miracle, and it wasn't enough. The Bible records in, in, the, New Te- in the gospel records 35 major miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ did. The gospel record of John says that if you had filled all of the miracles that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it. He did so many miracles all the time. I need another miracle. I need another miracle. I need another miracle. They weren't satisfied with just letting God be God. I want another proof. I want another evidence. Notice about the Greeks now, verse 22. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. The Greeks want it to be convinced mentally. They wanted all of the evidence. We want everything right here. I want it listed out. I want to understand everything before I get saved. You understand you won't understand everything before you get saved? I'm a pastor of a church and I think I'm fairly confident on theology and there are things about theology I don't understand. What do you mean? The love of God? I can understand what the Bible says, but to truly understand the love of God? That he loves someone like me? That Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, in that moment of time, thought and paid for the price of every individual sin that had ever been committed in that point of time? And forgave and paid the price for every little bit because he loved us? That's unfathomable. That's something my wheelier brain can't understand. The Bible says that the love of God and I, the love of God, and there's something I understand it quit a little bit, but I don't understand the intricacies. I understand theological words to a degree. Justification, propitiation, substitutionary atonement, redemption, reconciliation. Those are good Bible words. I understand them to a degree. But do you know that you don't have to understand those words in order to get saved? I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a young child in a vacation Bible school in Dallas, Texas. And I went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I remember that Friday where a pastor opened up the Bible and he showed me from the Bible that I was a sinner. Little child. And he showed me I was a sinner. A little child, he showed me that because of my sin, I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to be separated from God. And my little wee little brain, I understood that. I deserve to be separated from God. And I didn't want to go to hell. He loved me enough to take the Bible and show me from the Bible that Jesus died for me. And I remember the pew I was sitting in when I bowed my head and I accepted Christ my Savior that day. Now, as a small little child, did I understand redemption? Did I understood what even the word propitiation was? But did I have to? I didn't have to have a full understanding of all the intricacies of salvation. I had to understand a basic truth. I was a sinner. I deserved hell. Jesus paid my price and I personally accepted. That was all that was necessary. It was simple. But the Greeks said, oh, I'll believe if you can explain this and this little place here. And what quite moment does salvation happen? Does it happen the moment that you believe? Do you have to say the words? What exactly moment, you know, and they want to make it complicated. I'll believe, but I got to figure out all these little things first. They look for understanding and they're never come to a understanding. There has to come to a place where you believe on faith, not sight and not understanding. 
God gave me the truth and I accept the truth as he has given to me. And it worked. Now I can develop a better understanding of these things that I could not understand before. But to the Jewish people, one more miracle. To the Greeks, I got to have better understanding, better understanding. And it keeps them back. They won't come to the end of themselves. And the wisdom of this world becomes foolish. If you don't mind, one more thing that we see in here is that the foolishness of God is wiser. The foolishness of God is wiser. Notice with me in verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. So this is our message. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. Unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Now think about it from a Jewish perspective. Jesus Christ dying on the cross, Jesus was supposed to be their Messiah. According to the book of Deuteronomy, anyone that's hung upon a tree is cursed. This was one of Paul's big stumbling blocks before he came to know the Lord. I don't understand how God can curse his Messiah, his chosen one, his anointed one. It does not make sense. It doesn't make sense that Jesus Christ would be the Messiah from a human perspective, but this is what God has chosen to do, to robe himself in flesh and die on our behalf. The Jewish people wanted a military Messiah. They wanted a Messiah who would get rid of the Romans, set up the government and put them in charge. They had a wrong view of the Messiah. And because it didn't fit their view, they wouldn't accept it. Jesus just doesn't fit my mold, doesn't fit my understanding. And so I can't believe it. It just, it's a hindrance. I cannot believe in this Jesus. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, preaching Christ crucified, that's a stumbling block. We preach Christ crucified. To the Greeks, it's stupid. It's foolishness. You want me to think that my sins are forgiven because some guy died on the cross? He was executed as a criminal. You want me to trust in a criminal to be forgiven of my sins? It's stupid. You want to tell me I'm going to heaven because of something someone did 2,000 years ago. Well, I'm doing it from their perspective. To them, it's foolishness. It's stupid. What do you mean? Yeah, I mean, you could be doing something better than on a Wednesday night. I mean, it's cold outside. It's stupid for you to be out here. Isn't that what a lot of people are thinking? It's stupid. It's foolish. But for us, this is a big deal. This could be the message that changes our life. We don't want to miss it. Verse number 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Praise the Lord that God said this works. That believing on Christ it works. It doesn't matter if you're Jew. It doesn't matter if you're Greek. It doesn't matter if you're Gentile. It doesn't matter what your background is. It's enough to save you. It is the power of God that Jesus died on the cross. It's real and it worked. And yes, it happened 2000 years ago, but that effect still hit me now. It still works. There's still room with the cross for you. And it was enough to save me. It was enough to allow me to have forgiveness. And it was the wisdom of God. This is what God came up with. 
If you put all of the smartest people in all of history and put them together in a room and said, all right, here's the problem. I want you to find some way for man to be forgiven of their sins and they could go to heaven. Come up with an idea. And you could take the Einsteins. You could take all the brilliant people of all of history and they would have never come up with the idea that God would come down and robe himself in flesh and die in our place. I mean, look at it from a human perspective. Why in the world would the God of the universe choose to die? Why would anyone choose to die? That's stupid. I wouldn't want to die. Would you want to die? You want to go through the pain and suffering? That's stupid. But to us, it's not stupid. It's the love of God. It changed our life. (coughs) Excuse me. To us, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Notice with me verse 25. (coughs) Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You know what? Somebody would say, Jesus dying on the cross is stupid, (laughs) but that's the only plan that works. It's better than anything you came up with. It actually works. Forgiveness of sins. You may call it stupid, but it works. And that the weakness of God is stronger than man. Why would God make himself weak? So we could have life eternal. Better than any plan you could come up with. God knew what he was doing. He's wise. And the rest of the world may call it stupid, but it works. It may not make sense to them, but it works. Verse number 26. For you see how your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Verse 26 is very important. It says that God, not many wise, big, intelligent people are called to be used of God. A lot of times people would have an imagination, oh, this Hollywood superstar, if they come to know Christ as their savior, you know what? That's going to make a big deal. And that's going to change everything. If you could forgive the uh, cultural reference, uh, this is recent news. Some of you know that I used to once upon a time watch um, professional wrestling. So I'm familiar with them. Some of you may not know who people are. But you know, recently... Hulk Hogan and The Undertaker got biblically baptized and joined churches. And someone say, praise the Lord, Hulk Hogan, take your vitamins, say your prayer. That guy, I mean, he got saved. You know what? Everyone is going to join the church. The Undertaker, I mean, big guy. I mean, he got saved. Oh, look at the change of his life. And you look at him and say, surely they get saved. All of a sudden, Christianity is going to turn their head. No, not many ways. You know, a lot of people think these big superstars, big famous people, these celebrities are going to get saved. One of the problems with celebrities is they don't like to give up their fame and their lifestyle and whatnot. And they compromise their Christianity. And now it doesn't make Christianity better. It makes it worse. Because people are looking at these weak Christians, not trained Christians, Christians who are not totally following the Lord. But people pattern after them. Now, I'm glad that it doesn't say any. It says many. That means there are some 
who are, <coughs> notice again, for you see your calling, brethren, that how not many wise men. I'm glad that there are some wise men, not <coughs> many uh, mighty, not many noble are called. I'm thankful that there are some wise after the flesh who got saved and was used of God. For example, one of my fam f uh, favorite historical people was Erasmus. I appreciate how God used Erasmus. Paul, don't you think he was smart? And God used him. But not many. Not many. God is not looking for some, the most intelligent person in the world to get saved and all of a sudden Christianity is going to get better. He's not looking for the most charismatic person to get saved and all of a sudden Christianity is going to spread. He's not looking for the greatest influence, the president of the United States. That doesn't change anything. But what is God looking for? Verse 27, but God hath chosen the foolish. Remember that word foolish carries the idea of stupid. What the world sees as stupid but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Do you know what God has chosen to do? God has primarily chosen to use the broken and <coughs> the base things for his glory. The word base, we're going to see that in a second, verse 28. And the base things of the world which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. The word base means without family or descent. It carries with it the idea... <coughs> That God is able to choose those without family, without friends, with no uh, lineage. Maybe we can say it this way. Nobodies. God likes to use nobodies to get his work accomplished. Now, I'm going to say something. Don't be offended. But I think we fit in this. We've got a church full of nobodies. None of you are president of the United States yet. None of you are Hollywood superstars. None of you are former professional wrestlers. None of you have your name in lights. Nobody knows who you are in town except for a handful of people. You're nobodies. You're broken people. I've got this infirmity. I've got this issue. I've got this problem. I've got this thing going on. You're nobodies. You're nothing special. You're like, you're not helping me, preacher. But I'm telling you, you're the people that God want to use. God wants to use the nobodies, the broken, the base to confound the wise. How in the world can someone like you make such an impact in the world? Because God likes to use nobodies. That means there's hope for even you. God wants to use you to make the world go, what in the world just happened? How did that work out? How did that change the world? God says, I did that. Why? God says the reason why in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Do you know that if we were smart enough, we would say, you know what? I helped God's work out because of how smart I was. Hey, you know, God, I helped God's work out because of how rich I was. Because all my money, look at all what happened. We would brag on it. I mean, we may try to be spiritual about it, but we'd brag about it. But God says, I'm not here because of your money. I'm not here because of how influential. I'm not here because of how smart you are. I'm not doing it because of how athletic you are. I'm using you because you're a nobody. And therefore, no one can glory in his presence. 
No flesh of glory in his presence. When it's all said and done, a Christian used by the God, God said, how did this happen? Listen, it wasn't me. None of this should happen. None of this should be like this. It was gone, God alone, because there's no way I could have done this. God says, that's what I wanted. I don't want someone to take credit for God. I want someone to say, listen, God has to have all the credit because I'm a nobody. I'm broken. I'm pathetic. You left my own devices. I messed everything up. But I let God use me and all of a sudden amazing things happen. I'm a nobody that God wants to use. Isn't that encouraging? You know, a lot of times Christians say, well, I can't really be used to the Lord because I'm not smart enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not good looking enough. I don't fit the mold. I don't fit the whatever else. God says, that's the one who I want. It's exactly who I want. But again, people say, well, I can't be used of God, so I won't. You know, your greatest ability is your availability. As long as you make yourself available, God wants to use you. And he wants you to be used in such a way that people go, it doesn't make sense. How in the world did this get accomplished with you? You're like, no offense taken. It's God. It's God. Isn't that hope for everyone? Every single one of us can be used of God, not because of how great we are, but because of the great God we serve. So that no flesh can glory in his presence. There's a third thing. That God makes us unto wisdom. God makes us unto wisdom. Notice if you don't mind verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who God is made unto us wisdom. So when we get saved, God does things with us. And as God makes things with us, notice there are four things that God makes us. Not because of us, but because we surrender to God. These are four things that God wants to do in us. First of all, he makes us unto wisdom. But ye are of him, um, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. This carries the idea that he transforms our mind. That as we surrender to God and realize that God could use even me, as we surrender, he transforms our mind so we even think differently. That at one time in your Christian life, or maybe a backslidden life, you say, Why go to church? It's boring. He's just going to yell, why show up? By the way, there are some people who don't enjoy church. I'm thankful that some of you, you enjoy being here. But that wasn't always the case. Some of you might remember where you showed up and <laughs> you're doing something else, anything else. I mean, there's a reason why we have a cell phone ban in church. Why? Because people would rather be playing Mario or whatever they play nowadays, Angry Bird, whatever they're playing nowadays, than listen to the preaching. They're here because they have to. We know that that. But God can change. When you surrender it, all of a sudden, church is not a burden. Church is something I want to get to. I, I can't wait. This next message will be the message that changes my life. I want to show up. It's always the message you miss is the one that you need it. Amen. God makes us into wisdom. He changes and transforms our mind. But of him are ye in Christ, who God has made us unto wisdom, that God has made us unto righteousness righteousness. This carries the idea that he transforms our morals. He transforms our morals. We now see a different thing that is right. The qualification to come into this church is not that you have to agree with us. You stick along with us and obey the Bible, you'll start to line up with the Bible. 
We don't care what they believe. I know that there are some people that churches that won't allow someone who has a different life choices than we believe in here. We'll let them all come. You let them hear enough preaching and let them make decisions. They'll make decisions on their own to follow after God. And they'll say, man, I don't, I don't understand why I used to think that was right. Some of you told me that testimony that before you came to this church, you thought some of this other stuff, it's right. And then you say, how in the world could I think like that? Because God changed your morals. He changed your thinking. That as we follow God, as preaching is going on, preaching transforms us. And we become different. We line up better with Christ. He changes our wisdom. He changes our minds. He transforms our righteousness. He changes our morals. Notice what else? Verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who God has made unto us wisdom. God made unto us righteousness. God made unto us sanctification. The idea of sanctification is that he transforms our motives. He changes us. Before we were motivated by selfishness and sin. But now our motives are him. I want to sin less and less and less. You know, before you came to know the Lord, that was never an idea in your mind. You didn't care about how much you sinned. You just worried about whether you got caught or not. But as you start following the Lord, it transforms your motives. Why are you doing this? Why, why do I want to sin less? Why do I not want to dress like this anymore? Why don't I want to look like this no more? Why don't I want to listen to this music anymore? He's changed our motives. Instead of it being all about us, it's now about all about him. My goal has changed. Verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus whom of God has made us unto wisdom, who God has made us unto righteousness, God has made unto us sanctification, and God has made unto us redemption. This idea of redemption is that he transformed our members, that we're bought from Christ and we learn how to die to self. Before you wanted to follow the Lord, you never thought about dying to self. But as you want to be used of God, that starts to become an important thing. By the way, I'm encouraged by this series now because I have a bunch of you that talk about I want to die to self. Not just one or two of you, a bunch of you. I want to die to self. I want to put to death my members. That's wonderful. That means God is changing you. Preaching's working. You mean preaching? Yes, preaching did this. It changed where you want to die to self. I don't want my members to have, I don't want my flesh to be in control anymore. I want to die to self. To the world, that, that doesn't make sense. What do you mean you, you, you don't want your flesh to be in control? You don't want yourself to be in control. I mean, you should love yourself. No, I, I love Lord more. Myself gets in trouble. I want to get me out of the way. I want him to, it doesn't make sense to the world, but now things have changed preaching, the foolishness of preaching. Why? What is the purpose of all of this? Verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. God uses the foolishness of preaching to change our lives. The rest of the world thinks it's stupid. But as the preaching goes on, the preaching of the cross, God chooses to use us who are base, who are broken, who are despised, who are nobodies. And God uses us and changes us and makes us into something different. So that way he gets all the glory from it. Let us glory in the Lord. One of the biggest miracles of the ministry is that I'm in it. <laughs> that God wants me to be in it. If you knew my past and knew all the things and knew my present, you're like, how in the world would God even let him be up here? 
It's because God changed him. God did something and God wants to do that with you. He wants to make you completely different. So you look back and say, I shouldn't be teaching this class. I shouldn't be winning these people to the Lord. I shouldn't be used of God. I shouldn't have this influence. Listen, if you knew how bad I was, how much of a nobody I was, how broken I was, how helpless I was, only God did this. God does this all and uses foolishness of preaching. He uses the base and broken things so that all of us glory in him. That our rejoicing is in Christ. Let us glory in the Lord. You have nothing to glory about about yourself. It's all God and what he's done. And I guarantee that if you make yourself available and surrender to God, God will change you. How will God change me? Through the foolishness of preaching. And as we preach, as you prepare to listen, and as you prepare to respond and make a decision, you will find yourself changing in ways you couldn't even explain. How does that work? (laughs) Don't ask me. It's what God said. But it does work. It does work. And you'll be a completely different person by this time next year if you choose to obey what God's given to you. Just continue to surrender. God, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Surrender to him. Even if it doesn't make sense, Lord, I trust you. And you'll say, how did God change me like this? How did God use me like this? How did I see these many people come to church? How did I see this many people get saved? I mean, it doesn't make sense. It didn't happen before. Because God wants to use broken things. He wants to use nobodies. So that way he gets all the credit and all the glory. Now, my prayer is that this message did something to you. That this message is stirring you up. This message gives you hope that even you could be used. And I know it's not fun to be called a nobody, but that's what we got a church full of nobodies, including the pastor, nobodies. Broken people, useless people. The, the way the society said, well, why even put up with you? And God says, I want to use those people. I want to use this church. You know why we could bring more glory to church than a lot of others? Because we're all broken. Because <laughs> we're all useless. Because <laughs> our only hope is that God would do something with this poor pathetic flesh. Amen. I'm hoping that you take this seriously and say, God, preacher said I could be used. And I don't know how, but Lord, if you could use me, please do that. I don't know how it's going to work, but Lord, do it. I make myself available. Stop telling yourself that you can't be used. Stop telling yourself you're useless and start saying, listen, God, I double dog dare you to do something with this. I double dog do something with this useless being and uh, let, let yourself get glorified because it's not me. Would you be willing to say, Lord, I make myself available. See what you can do with this useless piece of clay. And by the time it's done, Oh, can you imagine what glory God can do by using this useless flesh? God can use even you so we could all glorify in his name. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.